Good morning, church. I pray you are all well and that you are as excited this morning as me for the text we will be looking at today. As we will be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be in verses 11 through 18. Scholar Marcus Barth called this passage the key and the high point of the entire book of Ephesians. Klein Snodgrass noted that this passage might be perhaps the most significant ecclesiological or church-related text in the entire New Testament. So why do both Barth and Snodgrass have such high views of this text? Well, it is because that here we see that the issues that have separated Jew and Gentile The practices that have alienated and divided and created hostility between the two, creating division and rivalry, they have been broken down by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thus, if you are a new creation in Christ, then no matter who you are or where you come from, you are now one in Christ Jesus. And this is possible as we've learned the last two weeks that we as Christians, all man, we were born into sin. We were dead in our sin and trespasses. We followed after the course of this world. But God, but God being rich and mercy, he saved us from sin, death, and eternal damnation into eternal salvation with him by giving us the gift of grace that we have, been, that we have received through faith. Thus, as Christians, we are literally new creations. We are new work. We are God's workmanship. And we have a new identity in church. Our identity, it is in Jesus Christ. Thus, we as a church body, we are on the same team. But that is a difficult message to accept today in our rivalry-driven world. I read a joke about a Sunday school teacher who was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five- and six-year-olds. And after explaining the commandment to honor thy father and thy mother, the teacher asked, Now, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Without skipping a beat, one of the little boys raised his hand and answered, Thou shalt not kill. (laughs) But believe it or not... Our text this morning, it teaches something distinctly different. Our thesis this morning, or the two main themes that we will be looking at in our text this morning, is this. That if man does not trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, he will be separated from God and separated from God's people. But if man does trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, he will possess peace with God and display peace toward his brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, if man does not trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, he will be separated from God and separated from God's people. But if man does trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, he will possess peace with God and display peace toward his brothers and sisters in Christ. Our text this morning, it is Ephesians chapter 2. We are in verses 11 through 18. 
And I would highly recommend you following along in your Bibles this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. If you do not have a Bible this morning, there is a Bible in the chairs in front of you. And the text this morning is found on page 976 and 977. So again, I would recommend following along. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you, remember you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross this morning. Lord, we were far off from you. We were without God in the world. We had no hope. We were dead in our sins. And through the work of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled back to God. And we have a family here, a church family that Christ is the head of. Father, I pray for clarity this morning. I pray that I am clear in the context that is taking place. I pray I am clear and truthful preaching your word. Help me, Spirit. Also, help these dear ones. Open their eyes, their ears, and their hearts this morning to the beauty that is eternal peace with our God. And let us share with the world the peace we have with God through the peace we have with each other as the church. Do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one, anyone who does not trust in Jesus Christ as Lord will be separated from God and separated from his people. Anyone who does not trust in Jesus Christ as Lord will be separated from God and separated from his people. Verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
We see in verse 11, 11, the first phrase, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles in the flesh. That phrase, in the flesh, Paul typically uses it to describe our sin nature, our depravity, our wickedness. But likely, that is not what he is referring to here. As Paul says, in the flesh... You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, he is likely alluding to the physical bodies of man, in particular the male Gentile bodies. Because this alludes to one of the most significant differences between Jew and between Gentile or non-Jew, which is that of circumcision, which was a physical sign of all of Abraham's descendants, all Jewish men, and it displayed that they were part, these Jewish men were part of God's covenant made with Abraham. But this also created a sense of animosity. This mark of circumcision created a sense of rivalry between Jew, the covenantal people of God, and Gentile, those outside of the covenant. You see, in the eyes of the Jews, to be uncircumcised was to be a pagan. It was to be outside of the people of God, outside of his covenant blessings, or as we see in verse 12, it is to be separated from God without hope and without God in the world. And as only man can do, the Jews became prideful about their standing as the covenantal people of God, marked by their circumcision. And they dismissed, they disregarded, they rejected those who were not part of God's covenant people, or they rejected the uncircumcised Gentiles. F.F. Bruce, he said that the pious Jew was ever conscious of the privileges which he had inherited. Daily he thanked God that he had not been made a Gentile, William Barclay, he said the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. They said that the Gentiles were created by God to fuel the fires of hell. Now, church, I know this concept is foreign to us, this idea that one people group who have flesh that look different than another people group, that they would be hostile or mean or nasty toward another people group. I understand this is a very ancient Near Eastern practice. I hope you can sense the sarcasm in my voice. As this is the world we live in today, is it not? But what Paul is saying here, he's addressing the Gentiles. He's saying, you Gentiles, verse 11, therefore remember that before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were separated you were alienated. You were, outcast in the mo- you were outcast in the minds of the Jews. You were outcast in the minds of God's covenantal people. But you Gentiles, you were not only separated and outcast in the eyes of God's people, you were also previously separated from God. Verse 12, it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. These are five dark realities for Gentiles here before they came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
And we can see them right here in verse 12. The five are, number one, that they were separated from Christ. They had no idea. They had no knowledge of a future Messiah. They had no concept of one who would come and crush the serpent's head and destroy sin and destroy death. Number two, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They did not receive the same blessings or protection or see the shadows of what the law of God pointed to because they were not part of the nation of Israel. They were strangers, number three, to the covenants of promise. God made covenants, oath-bound covenants with his people Israel. The Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic. And as Tony Miranda points out, to be separated from the covenants of promise meant the Gentiles were missing. They were not seeing. They were not knowing the covenants that promised a Messiah. Thus, number four, they had no hope. You have no Messiah. You have no hope of a Messiah. You have no promise of a Messiah. There is no hope. And number five, they were simply without God in the world. Now, these Gentiles, they had gods. They had little G gods. Oh, did they have idols? Did they have altars? Did they have false gods made up, handmade, imagined deities that did absolutely nothing? But they had no God in the world. And here's Paul's point. When we are outside of Christ, when we are outside of the gospel, when we do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are separated from God's people through eternity, and we are separated from God. We are strangers to the people of God, and we have no hope, and we have no God in the world. And that is our eternal reality, and that is whether you are a Gentile, or that is whether you are a Jew. And you may be sitting there thinking... Well, the Jews, the the covenantal people of God, they didn't seem to be acting like the people of God. They didn't seem to be real godly in their character or their behaviors, saying the Jews were going to be fuels for the fire of hell. And here's the funny thing, and what Paul points out in verse 11, that even though the Jews were given unique knowledge and unique revelation of God, even though they were God's chosen people, even though they had covenants made with God, even though they had the physical sign and mark of the covenants, circumcision. Their circumcision, verse 11 says, was made by the flesh of hands. And in order to remove our ultimate separation with God, A physical circumcision will not do the trick. We need a circumcision, as Paul says in Romans 2, that is a matter of the heart. Our hearts, they must be removed, they must be taken out, they must be cleansed, they must be cut off from the world. It is our hearts, brother Christian, sister Christian, that need to be made new. We need to be new creations in Christ, whether we are Jew or whether we are Gentile. And how is this possible? What is the only answer to our problem of alienation and separation with God and with each other? takes us to our second point this morning. Point number two. That it is only through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can enjoy true peace. Peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ and eternal peace with our God. 
It is only through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can enjoy true peace. Peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ and eternal peace with our God. Verses 13 through 18. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That first word, but, but is such a great word for sinful man. But now in Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, you Ephesians who were once far off, you have been brought near. You were once godless, you were once hopeless, you were once far from salvation. You have been reconciled to God. You have been brought back to God by the work of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It is by the blood of Christ that we are brought back near. Please understand this, church, whether you are Jew or Gentile, the blood of Jesus Christ, it has the power to cleanse you of all sin. Whether you are far from Christ or you are near, the blood of Jesus Christ, it has the power to cleanse you of all sin. Whether you grew up in a Christian household or in the household of an atheist, it is only the blood of Jesus Christ who can cleanse you of all sin. And how is this possible? It is because there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Author Henry Bosch, he shared this story about the evangelist John Wesley, who when returning home from a service one evening was robbed. The thief, however, found his victim, Wesley, to have only a little money and some Christian literature. As the bandit was leaving, Wesley called out, Stop! I have something more to give you. The surprise, robber paused, the surprise robber paused. My friend, said Wesley, you may live to regret this sort of life. And if you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The thief hurried away and Wesley prayed that his words might bear fruit. Years later, Wesley was greeting people after a service when he was approached by a stranger. What a surprise to learn, what a surprise to learn that this visitor, now a believer in Christ Jesus and a successful businessman, was the one who had robbed him years before. He said, I owe it all to you, and the transfor- said the transformed man. Oh no, my friend, said Wesley, exclaimed, not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sins. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ that removes the sins, removes the filth of our sins. 
It is only the blood of Christ that washes us white as snow. It is only the blood of Christ that paid the price for our sin, our sin that had separated us from God. Thus, through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only means of our forgiveness, Christ removes the hostility. He removes the conflict between God and man, taking us as enemies from God and bringing us close to Him as His children. Thus, we now have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we can have peace with each other as brother Christian and sister Christian, and we can have peace between our God and our Creator. But we will start this morning with peace between brother Christian and sister Christian. Verses 14 and 15. It says, for he, Christ, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. I mentioned earlier that there was tremendous hostility and separation between Jew and Gentile. Or as verse 14 puts it, there was a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Now being that Paul wrote this letter before the fall of the Jewish temple or the temple in Jerusalem in 70 A.D., And being that there was a literal wall at the temple separating the outer courts and the inner courts of the temple, warning Gentiles not to cross into the inner courts, some believe that Paul at some level could have had this in mind when he was writing this text. But even if he didn't, even if Paul didn't, we can see, even if Paul didn't, we can see that the dividing wall at the temple of Jerusalem tells us all we need to know about the Jewish and Gentile divide. However, what most scholars believe that what was ultimately in view here is as verse 15 puts it, it is the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this as scholars debate whether this includes the entire Mosaic law or simply the ceremonial law, which is in view here. But the consensus do believe that what Paul has in mind here is that he sees the law of commandments expressed in ordinances as the source or the reason for the Jewish-Gentile hostility or separation. Since there were commands in the law, for example, the dietary restrictions, circumcision, which we see here, the sacrificial system that were not followed by Gentiles and caused significant separation between Jew and Gentile. Thus, in order to deal With this separation, in order to deal with the alienation between Jew and Gentile, Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross, takes the law of commands. And as verse 15 says, he abolished them. Meaning, as Harold Horner points out, Christ made the law of commands inoperative. 
S.M. Ball said that Christ rendered the law of commandments powerless. And how did Christ do this? Jesus Christ, in his perfect life here on earth, he fulfilled the law perfectly for us. Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, we no longer stand condemned as believers under the law. And why would Christ do this? Verse 15, it says that he, Jesus Christ, might create in himself one new man. That Christ might create in himself one Christian man in the place of two, in the place of Jew, in the place of Gentile. So making peace that they, Jew and Gentile, would be one man, one Christian, at peace with each other. Both reconciled to God, at peace with God, and one Christian man at peace with each other. John MacArthur shared this story about a group of American soldiers from World War II who lost a buddy of theirs in battle. So they carried his body to the only cemetery in the area, which happened to be Catholic. When the priest was told that the dead man was not Catholic, he said, I am sorry, but he cannot be buried here. The disheartened and discouraged soldiers decided to do what they thought was next best, and during the night they buried their friends just outside of the cemetery fence. They returned the next morning to pay their last respects, but they could not find a grave outside the fence. When they told the priest of their quandary, the priest said to them, The first part of the night I stayed awake, sorry for what I told you. The second part of the night I spent moving the fence. Jesus Christ, he has destroyed the wall of separation. He has destroyed the fence of separation to create in himself one redeemed, one regenerate, one Christian man. Thus, in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is Christian. There is brother Christian. There is sister Christian. Thus, whether we are Jew or Greek, American or Mexican, African or European, we have peace with each other as Christians because nothing divides us. Our identity, our ultimate identity, is now in Christ. We are citizens together. We are siblings together. We are bricks together in the eternal temple of God. We are one with Jesus Christ. But through Christ, we do not only have peace with each other, we have peace with our Creator God. Verses 16 through 18. It says that He, Jesus, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 16, that he, Jesus, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility that Christ might reconcile one unified people, Christians, both Jews and Gentiles alike, back to God. And here's the profound takeaway from this verse and these verses as a whole. 
that we cannot have peace with each other without first being at peace with God. And we cannot have peace with God without first having faith in Jesus Christ. Church, this is a radical idea in the face of our secular, ever-growing, self-consumed, humanistic culture that it is only Christ who provides peace. Don't believe me. According to Humanist International, it says that humanists recognize that genuine peace is more than just the absence of war between nations. Genuine peace requires tolerance between communities, respect between individuals, and ultimately peace and harmony within the human heart. Listen to that again. According to the humanist, in order to achieve peace, it requires tolerance between communities, respect between individuals, and ultimately peace and harmony within the human heart. I mean, that sounds well and good until you realize that these poor people are searching for an answer, the answer of peace, and they have absolutely no idea what the problem is. Reverend George Barlow said that this is the problem. He said, sin is the instigator of quarrels and strife. And only as sin is conquered does peace become possible. Thus, only Christ can introduce peace because only Christ abolished sin. Follow the logic again. This is the problem. Sin is the instigator of quarrels and strife. Only as sin is conquered does peace become possible. Thus, only Christ can introduce peace because only Christ abolished sin. Jesus Christ abolished sin. Verse 16 says, through the cross so that the children of God could be reconciled to God, have peace with God, and no longer have hostility. This was Jesus Christ's ministry when he came to the world. Verse 17, he came into the world to bring peace, to preach peace, and to achieve peace eternally for fallen man who were hostile towards each other and who were separated from God. Thus only Through the atoning work of Christ, we who were separated from God, alienated from God, and without God, do we have access to him? Verse 18, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through Christ we can be in a relationship with God as his children, as his adopted sons and daughters, as a collective, beautiful, redeemed body made up of Jew and Gentile, every tongue, every nation, every race, and every color. We now as Christians can peacefully commune and pray to the Father in accordance to and by the Spirit because of the work of Christ. Church, please do not miss this point this morning. Our access, our reconciliation, our peace with God, and our peace and oneness with each other as Christians, it is exclusively offered through Christ. The humanist will never find eternal peace. The religious pluralist will never find eternal peace. Peace now and forevermore only comes through trusting in the blood of Christ. 
Ephesians 4 says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And for those with the one faith, the one Christian faith in the one Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have hostility with God, but we as one body can enter into the presence of God with boldness and confidence and with one voice and one mind rejoice now and forevermore in our one true saving God who is the only one who can give us peace through eternity. To God be the glory for that. As we close this morning, I will begin with the non-Christian who is here. To the non-Christian that might be here this morning, first off, thank you for being here. And the second thing is, what would you do, non-Christian, what would you do for peace? What would you give up for eternal peace? Your job? Your house? All of your money? Your car? Your career? Your intelligence? Your status? What would you give up for eternal peace? Because I am here to share as valuable as all those things are in the eyes of the world. They could not purchase eternal peace with your God. Only Christ has secured eternal peace for us by conquering sin for us. You see, our God, He came into this world as Jesus Christ. He took on flesh. Jesus Christ, He was truly God and truly man. And the perfect, the sinless, the righteous life that we could never live, keeping the law perfectly, Jesus Christ, He lived it. Jesus Christ, He did it. He kept all the law perfectly. And as a perfect and sinless and righteous being, He willingly and in perfect agreement with the Father died for the sins of His children. Jesus Christ, He paid the debt of their sins. He paid the debt of His children's sins in which they incurred in Jesus Christ. He appeased the wrath of God toward the sins of His children. But Jesus Christ, He wasn't done. His work on the cross did not just pay the price of our sins, but three days later, He rose from the dead. Jesus Christ defeated sin and defeated death once and for all. Thus, it is Christ alone who offers eternal life with God the Father to all who believe. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you repent of your sins. You turn from your sins, your sins that have separated you from God. You are peaceless within your sins. You are distant from God. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, pardon you of your sins, who paid the price for your sins. And through His perfect life, He will clothe you in His righteousness, reconciling you back to God through eternity, giving you peace with God through eternity. Let today be the day, non-Christian. And I can promise you eternal peace 
eternal unity, eternal communion with your God. It will be yours. Repent and trust in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins and who can reconcile you back to God forever. And to the Christian that is here this morning, Christian, you may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, Wes, I I am a Christian, and I believe and I trust in Christ with all of my heart that he is the Prince of Peace, and I know that I am at peace with God through eternity. I just don't feel very peaceful in the moment. I mean, what's the opposite of peace? Agitated? Yeah, I get agitated with my children. Disturbed? Yeah, I'm disturbed over the current political climate of our country. Unfriendly? Yeah, I'm unfriendly to my friends and my family and my church body at times. I don't like this about myself. I want to do something about it. Help me. What should I do? Klein Snodgrass noted that the word remember in verses 11 and 12 This is Paul's only imperative. It is Paul's only command. It is his only order that he gives the Ephesians in the first three chapters of this letter. He tells them, remember. He says, Gentile, Ephesians, Christians, remember who you were before you came to faith in Christ. Remember that you were separated from Christ. Remember, you were separated from God's people. Remember that you were hopeless and you were without God in the world. But even more importantly, he says, remember, continually think, dwell on, and cling to who you now are in Christ. You are one with Christ. You have been saved by Christ. You are new creations in Christ. Remember that you no longer are far off off from God, but you have been brought near and have access to God. Let that be your peace, brother Christian, sister Christian. When depression and anxiety and temptation comes knocking at your door, remember I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who who loved me and gave himself for me. There is no greater peace than that church. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body learn to love and to trust in and have peace in the work of Jesus Christ who made us new creations in him. That we consistently remember we are no longer enemies of God, but we are his adopted children. We are no longer separated from him or far far off from him, but we are near and have access to God the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, and that as a church body who are all one in Christ and who have no dividing wall of hostility separating any of us, that we display as a church family the eternal peace we have with God through the peace we have with each other. Let our testimony to the world be there is one body and one spirit. And we were called to the one hope, the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, to one God and Father, to whom alone receives our one and only glory and praise as the only one who saved us and the only one who offers true and eternal peace. Glory, glory, glory alone to our one God who offers eternal peace. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father.
We were once your enemies. Now we are seated at your table. Father, we were separated from your people. There was alienation between us. There was hostility between us and your people, us and you. And Jesus Christ, you came into the world. You destroyed this dividing wall of hostility. You took two people and you made them one Christians in Christ. We were once your enemies. Now we are children at your table. Help us, Father, to remember that when we feel agitated, when we feel frustrated, when we are without peace, Lord, we have been reconciled to you. Let that be our peace. And let it manifest itself in our lives in the way we are at peace as a church body with each other. Do this work, I pray, Lord. Amen.